I begin today by acknowledging the traditional custodians of a land upon which this podcast is recorded and pay my respects to their elders, past and present. I extend that respect to Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening here today. today to be joined by the amazing Roslav Petrovic. This is an interview that I've been really excited to do for several months so to finally have the opportunity to have him here to speak to his magic and his medicine and what he brings to the world of speaking, teaching and facilitation is unparalleled. Over his career he's worked with over 5,000 people across the world supporting them to bring their message to the world. He's the founder of the Enlivened Speaking Institute, where he teaches speakers how to go beyond didactic delivery to deliver their message in a powerful embodied way that is enlivening and engaging for audiences. Miroslav also recently produced, uh, produced, recently released his best-selling book, uh, Give Them Goosebumps, which is all about his philosophy for enlivened speaking. Great to have you here. Beautiful to be here. So to get us started, it was actually funny, I did an interview a few weeks back with Renee Main where I just dove straight in because I had a million questions. So I'm actually dialing that back today. Can you tell us a little bit around what your journey into enlivened speaking was? Where did you start? What was it that made you realize that giving people goosebumps was where the magic was? Yeah. Um, I'm like, I'm like, can I do this in, in a nutshell? Um, I used to be really socially introverted most of my life up until I started meditating, I don't know, around the age of 18 or 19 or something. Uh, that felt amazing. I was like, okay, this is great. I want to do more of it. The problem is I'm only feeling amazing when I'm meditating. So this question that naturally started arising was how do I feel this alive? And I was probably depressed for a while before that without even knowing it because it was just my normal like we don't really know what our normal experience is until we have to start teaching and facilitating and I was ridiculously shy ridiculously introverted I was probably the quietest kid in my year level um so when this answer came back of you have to start teaching it was the most awkward thing I could have heard I was like oh you know what why 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 this of all things and as I did start doing it I think I just developed this ability to listen to what was being unspoken and to listen to where the aliveness in the room was and to take it there to be expressed um i don't know if i'm covering this really well right now but yeah i guess my own suppression of my of my own expression for so long allowed me to start listening to things that weren't being expressed not just inside myself but inside other people and to recognize that aliveness comes when when we're going outside of rote or repetitive delivery, when we're stepping outside of our um, conditioned patterns, like that's usually where there's more life because something is happening for the first time ever. Absolutely love that. I even found that when I was sharing your intro, I'm like, this is slightly daunting having you here because you just have this ability to have this leisure sharp perception for when people are speaking to what's alive and when they're putting on that performance. What has it been like for you to have this ability to follow the current and to feel what's moving and be able to communicate that in a way that it lands for people? How's teaching, how's adapted to the world of teaching been for you? It's, it's you know, there's, there's two parts to this. Like, overall, I'd say it's been pretty good and hasn't been all peaches and roses because people are so indoctrinated to the other system. So there's there's spaces I've stepped into to to deliver something 
and the feedback has been like, you know, we were just expecting a PowerPoint presentation and we just wanted to be told all the answers. And for me, it's like, I get that we have, you know, 12, 15, 20 years of education in that way. But I would also argue that that type of education doesn't really work. Like we don't really learn by being told. It's interesting in the moment. What, for me, what changes, what actually creates learning is to have a different relationship with the thing. Like if I can't do something, like, yeah, there's, there's a knowledge component, but there's also a relationship component. And those two usually um, intercept. And I'm sure you've done this before. You tell someone everything they need to do in their business and they still can't do it because our capacity to do something isn't based on knowing it. So, you know, how, how it's been, it's like, yeah, there's been some of these challenges and there's also been a lot of beauty where people that get it and they're like, oh, wow, my relationship to this has completely changed. And that's from like internal work to, you know, you could say um, mental things we put between ourselves, like anxiety when it comes to speaking, like recognizing that can disappear very quickly when you're related to speaking in a different way. You don't need a list of skills to um, dissolve it. To On a, a bigger kind of level, just a, like when it's been well received and it's mostly, it's like I find it's mostly received the most by people that really journeyed these two poles very deeply, like both um, diving into ourselves and discovering who we are and also being forward-facing, whether that's leadership or speaking or something like that. Like they can really see the value of getting underneath the surface very quickly and communicating from that place. I love how you speak to relationship because I think that that is a core pillar for everything that we do. It's really not about, as you say, the knowledge. It is really about how we're relating to it. So in that respect then with relationship, I also understand that you've journeyed some deeper threads around interpersonal relating and transpersonal relating. How do you feel, I guess, having the grounding that you do in the world of, of Tantra and sexuality has supported you in your ability to, to navigate these energetic threads in these spaces in, in your communication and speaking? Mm. If I backtrack that a little bit, like for me diving into sexuality, because I was so sexually repressed, uh, it was like I had to start looking at some of my biggest demons, you could use the word, even though you know they're not really demons. It's a little suppressed data, you could say, very early on. And I think diving into our sexuality is potentially some of the the deepest or darkest work we do because the, the stuff that you want to hide from your conscious awareness, usually you take it as far away as possible as you can from where it's going to be found. And, you know, that's almost the unconscious operating system in the background. So for me, there was this blessing because... I had premature ejaculation when I was younger. It's like my spiritual path and my sexual path almost converged. I was like, I can't live with this. And that's where Tantra came about. And even though Tantra wasn't like the the thing that solved the problem for me, it definitely got me more interested in who I am and in the deeper currents that are running uh, through me. If, if we can use that, like, that I didn't choose to be here. It's like we're just born into these human experiences and it's like, all right, now there's a quest for discovery. Um, I feel when I, when I kind of track your question forward into now time, I think it's just given me this capacity to be able to hold people regardless of what they're going through. 
because I had to deep dive into some of that stuff very early on. And I didn't really hold back from it. I was like, I want to live my life as fully and wholly as I can right now, not in 10 or 20 or 30 years. Like if there's a faster path I can do this to actually be living my life, I want that. So I did a lot of um, deep diving into myself early on. And I find now when people come and they think they've got a big issue with, well, with most things, but I'm predominantly working in the speaking space. It's kind of like I've, I've been through it myself. And it's not, it's 95% of the time, it's not even a big deal for me to hold you into the, in the thing that you think is a big deal for you. Um, whereas I, I think where I am now would have been almost impossible to create just from a logical perspective, like it needed that underpinning of being comfortable with who we are and bringing that to the world or those two working in unison, like what we're bringing to the world has to be backed by who we are, not this uh, separation of the two. Does that answer your question? You 100% ran with the threads of what I was throwing with throwing at you because I was like, there's something that I want to ask here and I'm not even sure I'm articulating it properly, but the question, your response was perfect. And I love the way that you referred to it as suppressed data. Mm. It's such a, such a big piece, particularly like we chatted briefly before we jumped on, but I was talking about the fact that my really big fascination right now is that parallel between business and magic and magic being that, ultimate expression of the true self and the ability to funnel that into being, you know, whether or not that's through ritual practice or taking ritual into day-to-day life. And I think that that's something that really underpins the way you speak to speaking and facilitation and having been facilitated by you firsthand, you're someone that is able to hold such a powerful space and to gain trust so, so quickly particularly when I am someone does facilitate and for a lot of people that do facilitate there is the resistance often to being facilitated which you start thinking about all the things you'd be doing or what you can do differently so what's been your biggest growth edge in the last 12 months what do you feel has been expanding within you and the way you facilitate I think it's staring down the barrel of what we think uh, it's scary and doing it anyway. I'm, I'm going to speak a little bit more on this one. So I just did a tour where it's my first solo tour that I did. So just me as a speaker for a whole day. And one of the things you realize is when you put this much time and money into creating something like that, you have to, you have to be able to sell to, you know, for one, for the business to grow, but also just to recoup your costs. And there, there was this moment somewhere in there for me where I was like oh I'm quite comfortable doing this now I used to hate sales and I even the idea of one-on-one sales used to be daunting and now I was on stage and I was like oh I'm awoken to the part of me that wants to master doing this with groups and master how the sales process works with groups and when I tracked that what I did one-on-one it was very much like you know I had to start with someone else's formula of how they do this and then out of that my own authenticity of how I sell was born which it was more like a conversation than anything salesy. Um, and I can see now as I'm working with groups and like, just to put it in context, selling from stage is probably one of the most profitable skill sets in the world because so few people can do it well. And it's like doing it well means you're, you know, you're creating a transformation outside where people want to buy your thing. And the journey that no one really speaks about is the internal thresholds you have to go through just to get comfortable doing that. Um, I remember when when my brother and I first, when we, were, when we were on stages more regularly and we were like, all right, it's getting to that stage of the day where someone has to do the sales process. 
it was like, even though we'd been doing it for so long, like, you know, if we're holding a mic, we'd be like, all right, now Marco's going to tell you about how you can work with us next. And I'd pass the mic with him. He'd be like, yes, that's great, Miroslav. So we're going to be doing a three-day event. Why don't you tell them about that? And he'll pass the mic back to me. And it's like, you can literally feel that anxiety of like, I'm about to put myself out there and I'm going to receive all the judgment of this. Um, and being in it now, like some years later, I'm like, ah, I just have to acknowledge that this is where my system is feeling the most aliveness. And I don't even get to choose. Like at some point I thought, you know, why didn't I just be like a full-time keynote speaker where I don't have to do any of this? And it's like, well, because this is where my soul is receiving the growth that it needs to. It's like, how do I move with, I guess what you would call power and responsibility and in a way that I'm trusting and in integrity with myself while I do that. And this seems to be like on some level what was chosen as a good way to work through that stuff while also serving other people. I love that. Like there was a post that you shared recently and we actually got talking about it over dinner, my friend Yasmina and I. She said, did you see Miroslav's post the other day? I said, did that actually? It was the one about when you said you ran your first in-person event and it was $80 to come along and no one came. And how often, but at a soul level, you knew it was what you were meant to be doing. And I so often find that those initiations that the soul is seeking put us into those spaces of discomfort. It's like the things to crack us open to allow the purity of the self to come through. So what was it about speaking that you're like, this is my, my medicine, my vehicle for what it is that I'm here to do? I think the first time I stepped on stage, it was like having a meditative experience. I was like, I'm just doing that thing I've been doing cross-legged. The only difference is now these words coming out of my mouth. And I have to engage people while I do it. But when I first hit that, I was like, oh, my God, it's the same feeling. And I can't say since then that's been the experience every single time, but it gave me enough of an altered state to be like, I need to stick with this. Like, this this is my medicine. Um, and, you know, I want to add here whether I like it or not. I feel sometimes we forget that. There's a beautiful story I, I share from the, the Bhagavad Gita, which is an Indian epic. And there's this, I'm going to tell a very abridged version here, just, just the abridged version of the first chapter, um, where Arjuna is a prince who's about to go into battle, and his charioteer is, in this case, Vishnu, embodied as Krishna, which you don't need to know any of the jargon. It's like the soul of the universe, the all-pervading, all-powerful force that knows everything. Um, he's his guardian, but not even his guardian. He's his, uh, let's say, guide. He's not allowed to get involved in the battle in any way, but he's, he'll answer any questions that Krishna, that Arjuna has. And they ride off um, into the battle, and Arjuna says to, to Krishna, ride me into no man's land. I want to see my foes. And this was a civil war. So as they go into no man's land, Arjuna starts crying, and he's like, I can't fight these people. You know, that's my great archery teacher. These are my cousins that I grew up with. Um, that's my uncle. Like, I, I refuse to fight Krishna. And I'm going to lay down here on my knees and I'd rather be killed um, with weaponless than have to fight with my own kin. Sounds like a very noble thing. And Krishna basically turns around to him and says, you were born a warrior and it's your duty to fight. And the biggest blessing that could have been bestowed upon you is a just war. Like him and his family tried to pull out of the war and, and go for peace and his uncle's side didn't want that. And for me, that really hits home. It's like there's two teachings and just, just this very opening kind of verse. One of them is firstly to recognize that this whole battle is happening inside ourselves. It's not an external battle. It's a part of us that, you know, 
is persevering with right action and our soul path, if you will. And the other part that wants to keep us stuck where we are. And then the second part is this sense of right duty. You know, if that's what you were born to do and if that's what your service is, for me, the best thing is can I allow as much presence as possible to come through that service and be unattached with uh, what happens to my ego or my identity? Because I don't get to control that anyway. Is, I love that story and I love that you shared it. And I think that that speaks volumes to that current of aliveness and, you know, that ecstasy that moves through us. Often what animates that, we, as you say, it's not with, with choice. As part of where I guess I've drawn objection with a lot of the rhetoric around like a full body, fuck yes. It's more like the idea, well, sometimes the yes in the body, the mind is going, oh, no, not that. Please not that thing. <laughs> um, so I can totally resonate with those pieces. And part of what I often look at, look at when I'm consulting for people astrologically is I'm always looking at their chiron. Where is your wound? What is this sacred wound that you're here to alchemize in this lifetime? Because often that is the thing that you're actually being called into service of even more. Because mm. unlike so many other people that can teach from potentially knowledge and from learnings, like that embodied experience of alchemy when you are living through channeling your wound is, is unparalleled, which I think is really highlighted in your story of how you, you came from feeling repressed and you came from feeling these insecurities and now you channel those things into what it is that you activate for others. Mm, yeah, it's beautiful. Beautifully said. So what's the next 12 months looking like for the Enlightened Speaking Institute? Um, well, like I said before, it's, it's it's looking like more of the same. And like for me, there's just this awareness of like, all right, I need to be spending more time on stages where I can sell because that's what wants to be harnessed and crafted in, inside me. Um, like one of my spiritual teachers is very into the non-dual philosophy, you know, just like just letting go of everything. He has this idea where it's like, you know, sometimes interest is born inside of us and we follow that interest and then later the interest disappears. And I, I think there's a magic to this. It's like, oh, this is where the interest is right now. And can I keep exploring that while it's alive? And after that, um, who knows? So, yeah, the next 12 months is very much a couple more, at least for this first six months, we have a couple of more um, in-person events, like preview events. If you want to come and experience this for yourself, that's quite a good space to do it with no... Um, <laughs> I'm not even sure I like the model, but with no risk to you. So, you know, you come along for free, you experience it. And if you like it, you come along and experience what else I have to offer. And at the moment, those other offerings as well, I'm like, okay, this is interesting. Like I'm going to be teaching people sales. Um, that seems to be calling really strongly because a lot of people coming from this self-awareness that they've done work on themselves, they're not very comfortable with sales. And that's usually where the wounding is. It's like, oh, it's around self-worth and um, following through what you need to expose yourself to be able to, I guess, to feel the value inside ourselves that's been suppressed. Um, and then the other thing is like ongoing speaking. So mastery, which is my six month training is something I'm still focusing on. Um, I feel there's gonna be more of a bridging between the online space and the in-person space. So it's gonna be interesting to see how it develops. And the other thing that that, that really got born for me is no longer ago I did a speaker training and I, I've done a lot of these I've kind of collected the, the speaker trainings um, 
And I was like, oh, this isn't really a speaker training. Compared to what I do with mastery, I'm like, we can call this a speaker training, but we're just getting comfortable being on stage. And it looks like a speaker training, sounds like a speaker training, but no one's going to be a professional speaker after this. And it just kind of left me with this feeling. I'm like, oh, this is what people really need. They just need time on stage. So what was born from that last tour is an event I called Fully Alive, which is where we use the stage to alchemize transformation. So the way you might use any other modality of therapy or um, not necessarily therapy, therapies can be used in different ways. But like, you know, the way we might use Eros or the way we might use plant medicine, the stage can be used in the same way because there's so much focused attention that comes at us when we're on the stage. And that's exactly like what underpins my relationship to the stage. It's like, all right, let's get you up there. So whatever's being stuck can move through you. So you can just be yourself on there. So then fully alive is very much focused about discovering who you are when you're on stage. And for me, there's there's a sense that it's like the moment you say, I know who I am. I'm like, that's, it's kind of like, it's bullshit. <laughs> like my experience of having done this for the last 10 or 15 years, who I am on stage is continually changing as I grow. And the best thing that I can do is just be in relationship to the changing forms of Miroslav that want to be expressed through the stage. That concept excites the hell out of me, just to put it, you know, understate it. Uh, I really feel that has so much power as you, I got goosebumps as you're sharing it. So one thing I did want to speak to, and this is something that I feel often comes up for entrepreneurs, particularly which one of the things I'm speaking to right now is that process of evolution that we go through in business, particularly if you are a conscious business owner, a spiritual business owner, often as you evolve and as you grow and you transform, potentially the offerings that you were offering before, the things you were speaking to before no longer resonate. And yet I see so many people holding themselves back and resisting because they feel that it's going to somehow tarnish their reputation or ruin their brand. What has been your relationship with surrendering or embracing this evolution and this transformation and what's feeling most true in a business context? Yeah, I feel the strongest piece for me is why are you doing it? Um, so for me, the goal was always enlightenment. And I know people can perceive that in many ways and you can say like enlightenment is being the experience of being whole or no longer separating myself from life. Like that's the deepest yearning. And like to keep coming back to that and to recognize that no matter how much money I make or don't make is going to change my experience of that. It's perhaps a more simplified place to make decisions from. Like I'm not chasing a multi-million dollar business, but if that happens along the way, which it likely will, um, that's just the the journey the soul has to go through. And, you know, also I've spoken to friends that have had, um, well, let's say one friend in particular, I'll, I'll use a direct story that had, I don't know what his business was, but it was over a million dollars. And he was like, when it fell apart, it was one of the most awakening moments I've, ha I've had. And I wouldn't take that back at all. Like it was all worth it. Um, and he, he's also on a spiritual path. So I'm like, oh, I get this. It's like, it's easy to get attached to the fruits. You know, it's like, I want this and I want this and I need to hang on to all these pretty things, but to keep coming back to what is it that I value and why am I doing this in the first place? Um, I feel that's one part. And I also feel there is a very real acknowledgement of our humanness that wants safety. And for me to get to where I am today, there was a period of, I don't know, close to 10 years where I was more or less broke. I'm like, you know, it's like there was times I'd make decent amounts of money and there was months where I wouldn't make a single dollar. And I remember speaking to my sister at one point and she was like, this is crazy how you're living. I'm like, I know, but I know what my commitment is. 
and to go into like a full-time job just to be making money i'm like i feel like my soul's dying slowly inside me as as if i were to do that um so i feel what i often suggest to people even though i haven't always lived it myself this way is to let those transitions happen in a way that's supportive for you so you know if the call is to leave your job and do something else do do that a bit slowly there's a lot of skill sets that need to be learned for you to run your own business unless you've been learning them along the way and even for me now it's like okay if the business was to pivot how can i do that while i'm still being supported and creating this um other thing that wants to be birthed through me as opposed to just being attached to the form that i'm in love that you spoke to that because there seems to be this real championing in a lot of the personal development space of the all or nothing it's like it's black and white you're either here or you're there and I feel there's often not any space left for the gray it's like how about you know you do it with gentleness how about you create it in a way that you're still being supported like look after your nervous system you've got you know particularly if you are pivoting in business you've got a bit of a journey to go um so I love that you spoke to that too um so one of the questions that I love, and I stole this one from Tim Ferriss, I say that every time, but I just feel like if anyone's not listened to Tim Ferriss, this is his question, and it's a great one, um, is if you had a billboard that the world could see, what would you put on the billboard? <laughs> um, it's, I'll, I'll just tell you the first thing that came to mind was be yourself. Um, like whatever that means, you know, it's not like we're pretending to be someone else. Look, it's something like the words... The words would be something like be yourself, but I feel that there's a fire around that. And it's like, maybe the words are down here and it's like, be yourself. And it's going to be a picture of you. We're talking like AI billboards. So every person that's driving past is going to see themselves and there's going to be fire and it's going to be a bit epic. And it's going to be like, what we're communicating is the blaze you've left behind you just, uh, just by being alive, just like by being you in the world, like the, the magnificence that has happened in the world. I love that. The fact that you brought AI into it, I was like, okay, absolutely, 100% on point with your current age. <laughs> um, love it. Any parting words of wisdom that you wish to share with people that are in taking or undertaking what is the path of spiritual business? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> be patient with yourself. So I, I've said this a few times, like it took me about a decade to get to where I am now. I know people have done it in a couple of years where they're like, they've changed industries and they've been able to build that thing very quickly. But if you're connected to why you're doing it and it's not just about um, the surface level things, like you, you just keep going. And there's a little piece of research I want to share that I just read recently. So this came from a book on talent. And this particular researcher studied children. Sorry, he, he started studying people from when they were children, just about to pick their first in instrument to when they were like adults and successful and whatever. So went over decades and he kept going back to them and doing interviews um, at whatever frequency he did to determine like what were the barometers of success and what created um, success. And the you know your your mind goes to like oh it's probably like how much money the parents had to put into music school or how disciplined the kids were to practice or the socioeconomic area they came from or, or whatever and he was like the single most determinant factor when it came to uh, the ones that were successful later on in their life it was a question he asked them when 
that hadn't even picked their instrument, he asked them, how long do you think you're going to be playing for? And the ones that responded, you know, forever or for the next, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 years were the ones that were successful at the end of it. And it's crazy here because they didn't even know what instrument, some of them didn't even know what instrument they're going to be playing. But that like desire and being connected to what it is they wanted allowed them to persevere for all the things they had to, to create the success. I love that. It's like the quote that who goes further, the man that is walking to finish the race or the man that loves walking. Mm. Yeah, so good. Thank you so much. I'll make sure that for anyone that wants to connect with Marislav and come along to his next in-person events, I'll have his contact details in the show notes and um, I'll see you guys next time.